Hey, good morning. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Instead of going straight into three worship songs, we're going to actually have, um, I guess, the sermon first. And um, that's a bit different. It's a bit of a shock, isn't it? Um, especially if you timed the way your body was going to react to everything. But um, we're at the end of Philippians, so I think it's a great time for us to, to just take stock of what we've done over the last few weeks and to reflect on it and think about where it takes us going forward. Um, yeah, let's see if I can get this to work, which would be the first challenge. There we go. It's vibrating my hand, so... Yes, the end of Philippians. Hey, when you come to the end of something, it almost makes you think that we, we should have an exam. Yeah? Some of you. Yeah, some of you love that word because that's exactly what you're doing at the moment. Um, I'm actually an ex-teacher, so um, the idea of an exam appeals to me a lot. I always used to think it was kind of interesting that teachers were the only people, along with bank robbers, who expect you to put your hands up. Yeah? But... Um, an exam, what would it be about? Actually, um, do you guys remember Fred Dagg? You know, John Clark, the comedian? Some of you young ones won't, but if it weren't for your gumboots, you know that song? He, he had an exam um, speech that he talked about once, and apparently he started like this. Um, I didn't do very well in it because I had a bit of a headache the night before. I'd been rubbing a little brandy into my head to settle my nerves, and I think it might have got away on me a bit, and the old brain was feeling a might sore when when I turned up. And I thought the questions were very difficult, actually. It was a maths exam, and I was never very smart with numbers. In fact, I wasn't even supposed to be doing the maths exam. But I fronted up on the wrong day, and once I was in there, they wouldn't let me out for a couple of hours. Yeah. And the first question was about calculating the compound interest on the angle of refraction of the parabolic circle traveling at the speed of light past three men who had taken four days to mow a lawn, which was six acres wide. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as you can understand, I didn't see the solution exactly jumping out and hitting me between my eyes, so I settled back and I delivered my old favourite, an essay on what I did in the holidays. <laughs> yeah. Then I got down on the floor and crawled out the window and went home. Yeah. Now, I got 4% on that exam. They said I got the answer wrong, but they gave me a few marks for my reasoning, which was quite surprising because when I sat the English exam, I wrote the same essay and I got 3% for it. So it really is just a matter of luck. So keep at it, try, avoid getting headaches of the type I mentioned earlier on. No, we're not going to do an exam. <laughs> but we are going to reflect. Um, let's have a look. The end of Philippians, that's the end of Philippians up there. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early day of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. 
the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So what's he saying? Well, he's saying that the Philippians church has been special to him. They've done more than enough, more than expected. And in fact, what they've done for him has been like an offering to God. And he's given his final greetings. And interestingly, in signing off, he's mentioned Caesar's household. There's an important group of people that are understanding and hearing the gospel is what he's saying. And then that's it. All finished. We're done. Philippians is over. We could finish church now, but that probably isn't a good idea because I'm reminded that there was a beginning to Philippians. So if we're at the end, why don't we just slip back to the beginning and and see what happened there. Um, Four chapters ago, Paul actually introduced Philippians, you know, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, writing to the small group of people across the sea. Paul, of course, is in prison. Um, He's in prison most probably in Rome. And why is he writing to this church, to this little group of people in Philippians? Well, that's because the Philippian church was really special to Paul There's a picture of Paul writing from prison. Um, This is what ChatGPT thinks it looks like. Um, It's wonderful now how you can get a picture of anything you want. You just ask um, a computer to do it. Possibly like that. He was probably chained. He didn't know how long he was going to be there for. Um, But Paul has an amazing relationship with the people he's writing to. They're not just some group of supporters somewhere in the distance. They come from this town, Philippi, a town that was um, there for a long time before Paul ever got there. Um, At at one stage, about 300 years previously, um, it had been named Philippi uh, by Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon. And more recently, it had become officially a Roman colony. A lot of the land around there had been given to soldiers who had retired, and then their descendants had grown up. So it was a completely Romanized place. And Paul had um, gone there after God had stopped him from going somewhere else. And it was a really interesting place to go. You see, as a Romanized place, um, the people there were very conscious of status and of honor. If you went there today, you can actually find lots and lots of inscriptions. They found over 700 honoring people. It was pretty important that if you lived in this city that you develop some status. And here's one of them on a, on a gravestone. Here lies Vitalis, first the slave, then the son of Gaius Livius Faustus. I was born in his home as a slave. I lived 16 years. Many of us have lived many more years than that. And I was a salesman in a shop. I was pleasant and well-liked, but I was snatched away by the gods. That's interesting that your whole life, packed into a small inscription, starts as a slave, becomes an adopted son, becomes a salesman in a shop, lives for 16 years. He's pleasant, well-liked, and then snatched away. The city, too, as we saw on the map before, 
um, was actually on a trade route, and Andrew mentioned that when he was speaking, and the trade route allowed people to get across Macedonia and then head um, by boat to Rome. So it was filled with interesting people, and it was a real cross-section of religions. There were deities and gods for everything. So if you imagine this Philippian community, honor is important, diversity is present, it's Romanized, but there's a God and deity for everything. There's no such thing as a secularist, someone who doesn't believe in God. They believe in something. So Paul is stopped from going somewhere else by God. He's over in Asia Minor. And this is his first trip over to Europe. So many of us have some European heritage. So he's coming over to where um, many of our ancestors came from. And he's there because he sees this amazing um, vision. So there is a real story behind the Philippian church that we're going to hear. It's not a church that he just came to one day. It's a church that he was intimately involved in, and it started with a vision, a man from Macedonia calling for someone to come and say something. So Paul went over with Silas, and down by the river, he met a woman called Lydia. He was down by the river because that was the area where the Jews were able to meet in that diverse city. And Lydia's sitting there, you can recognize her because she's wearing purple, because she sold things that were purple, made out of the dye that was extracted from the shells of mollusks. And she was a rich woman. She had, um, she had status, I guess, in um, Philippi. So Paul gets to know her, and she is converted um, to Christianity. She loves the story of Jesus. She's been following the story of the Hebrews, but she loves the story of Jesus. It plants a seed in her heart. And Paul has some success with Lydia in that, that city, but then something goes dreadfully wrong. He's followed around by this little girl who has this amazing ability, it seems, to be able to see into the future. And she annoys Paul. So Paul turns to her and he says, Demon, leave. And all of a sudden, the girl is freed from this position. But the people who owned the girl, because in those days, people often were owned, who made money out of her are very upset, because obviously their source of money is gone. And so they have Paul arrested and Silas, and the next thing, they find themselves in court. So this little church that's been started, now all of a sudden, their leader is in court, and later put into jail after being beaten. This is the origin story of the Church of Philippi. But the origin story doesn't stop there because if you've read the story in Acts, and mainly in Acts 16, what happens is that there's a huge earthquake during the night. Paul and Silas are singing, singing praises to God because in every circumstance they believe God is there and God is there. His story isn't finished. And you can see the jailer in the background. The jailer is so amazed by what he's seen, by the witness of these men, that he becomes a believer and his whole family is baptized. And so from that story, all of a sudden, there's a gathering of people, maybe 30 people or so, in the city of Philippi who believe something very, very different. Paul was able to sort of go one step further and actually claim in front of the 
people that um, had status in that city, that he was a Roman citizen, and they were so um, upset by the idea that they'd treated a Roman citizen so badly that he was let go, but they told him that he must leave, and so Paul left the city of Philippi, and he left behind this little church. So it's that little church that he's talking to, and that's that little church that he's writing to. So what is he writing for? And this is where I want to change the way we think about end a little bit. We were talking about the end as the finish, but we can have end in another way. End isn't always about endings. It can also be about purpose. So um, here are a couple of sentences I wrote out for myself to try and work out how end can be a purpose. In all his efforts, his end had always been to promote peace and understanding. You get the idea? His purpose, yeah? The primary end of this health initiative is to reduce chronic disease in the community. We've got a point to what we're doing. The ultimate end of this policy is to ensure a sustainable planet for future generations. Sounds like a good idea. We have a vision, an end in sight. So end as purpose, a reason. So sort of as a diversion, um, I was watching Bill Bailey, the comedian, the other day. You ever seen him? Amazing pianist and amazing musician on QI. He was talking about the end or the purpose of men and women. And um, he seems to have it in for men because he said at some point in their lives, men understand that their job is to carry things and to keep out of the way as much as possible. It sort of resonated a little bit. But he said, you know, it goes further. When a woman says no, she means no. When a man says yes, he probably hasn't understood the question. <laughs> and, and I love that one as well. So what's the ultimate purpose of the book or the letter to the Philippian church, to the church at Philippi? What did Paul want this church in the end to know and to understand? It's a baby church. We've just heard that. And if you read Philippians, you can see the little hints that it's under some pressure. First of all, it's small. It's in this Romanized city where status is important, where there are many, many gods, and these people believe something else. There's a hint that there's enemies about them. The word enemies is in the book of Philippians. They're different. They rejected what they've grown up with. They were worried about one of their own. Epaphroditus, and we hear about that in Philippians, how he's sick. Of course, their hero, Paul, is in prison. And there's at least some friction in the church because we hear the story of Euodia and Sintish. Um, there have been, or there may have been, false teachers, and there may have been money troubles. So they're kind of like any group of people, I, I guess, on the surface, you can see something, but if you dig down underneath, you can find out there's something else. They're human beings. So what does Paul want this letter to do? Well, there's a commentator. Um, his name is Nishay Gupta, wrote a wonderful book on Philippians. And to him, you can sum it up in one verse, and here's the paraphrase. It's... Verse 27 of the first chapter, he says, most scholars will go to this verse and say, this verse tells you the end of Philippians, its purpose. Philippians, above all else, keep this one focus clear in your minds. Seek to live as a good citizen of Christ's kingdom 
with the gospel life and mission as your standard. You may be worried that I, Paul, will die. Indeed, you may wish for me to be there with you. My physical presence doesn't matter. What matters is that you learn how to stand firm in the faith, bound together by the Holy Spirit, fighting the good fight side by side, pressing on to defend and spread the mission of the gospel. So wonderful paraphrase. So if you've been here over the last few months, you might have heard themes from that paraphrase come back several times. Gupta goes on, and he actually says that you can look at each chapter of the book of Philippians, and you'll see this theme enlarged on. So first of all, the gospel, despite our assumptions and fears, is unstoppable. It's something that's lasting for eternity. That good news that we've heard goes on and on and on. And the story of Jesus Christ, which is at the center of that gospel, guides the way to what it means to live a victorious life. These new Christians in Philippi have a life in front of them. It's going to be many, many years for them, but the story of Jesus Christ can guide the way to a victorious life. And that life, well, the gospel demands not a modification of your values and your allegiances, but a complete transformation. This is not something you do lightly. This is something that means something. It transforms you. And then in the last chapter, this God, this God is a God of peace. This is a God who takes our worries, our concerns, and he promises us that he can give peace. The God of gospel, our gospel is a God of peace. That's a wonderful paraphrase of what we've been hearing over the last few months. And I hope from time to time, there's been some of these words that have spoken into your lives. Because our lives are so long, and we have started out on them with our own origin stories. Our church, it was over 20 years ago, actually did a study once where we looked at this thing called The Purpose Driven Life. It was a book by Rick Warren who's um, a pastor from the United States, Saddleback, I think, his churches. Um, and he wrote this book, which actually was a huge seller all over the world. And so we got into, together as groups, and we studied it. Some of you are still here because you studied it and can remember it. Um, and there were five different purposes that um, Rick Warren thought should be at the top of our minds when we're trying to live a life that's full of purpose. First of all, worship. You were planned for God's pleasure. That's turning it around a little bit, isn't it? Not our pleasure, but God's pleasure. And worship is, is not just a song, but it's the creation of a life, I guess. It's a creation of a way of being that points and gives glory to God. Fellowship, you were formed for God's family. One of the only reasons that I feel that I can stay focused on God week to week is because of my journey with you guys. You rub off on me. When I see the things that you do and the way that you act and how you treat each other, it inspires me. And much of that, I believe, comes through our 
belief and our love of Jesus Christ and the model that he gives to us. What you do to the least of them. Discipleship's the next one. Yeah, you are created to become like Christ. And that entails growing spiritually and becoming more Christ-like in your thoughts, feelings, and actions as a lifelong process of discipleship. It's not over. You don't just do the exam and get out there. You continue to grow and continue to learn. Ministry, you were shaped for serving God, which means your purpose is to serve others with the talents, skills, and experiences that God has given you as a form of ministry. It's wonderful to see the ministries that are emerging in our church and the ministries that so many of you are involved in. And our ministries go way beyond what we do in this church to how we live our lives and how we influence other people. But that's one of our purposes. And then evangelism, you were made for a mission. We live in a world that is just as diverse, more diverse, more complex perhaps than the world the Philippians lived in. And there's people out there who need God, yeah? There's people out there whose hearts have to be turned towards the Lord. And I believe, and Rick Warren's saying, that we've actually got a huge responsibility in that area. We are God for many people in their lives. It all connects up, doesn't it? Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism are all going together. I can't see how you can worship if you're not being discipled in a very good way. It's difficult to fellowship if you're not attending and worshipping. Those things are all important. You know, we've got to the end of Philippians, but that wasn't the end of the Philippian church. The Philippian church continued. So often when you close a book, you wonder what happened to the characters. You wonder what happened to Lydia and others. And we don't know that but we do know that the Philippian church continued. In fact, there's a very good chance that Paul got to see the Philippians again. Many people think that the imprisonment he was in lasted for a couple of years, and then he was able to travel again, and he would have traveled probably in this area, which is a wonderful thing to know about the story because these people deserved, I think, to see him. We know 100 years later, or less than 100 years later, one of the um, fathers of the church a guy called Polycarp, not a name I'd give to any of my children, was writing to the Philippians. So there's a book to the Philippians by Polycarp where he's encouraging them to keep going. If you go forward a few hundred years, you'll start to see that we can find church remains, temples that have been built as places to worship and graves as the community becomes bigger and is able to um, express itself more. The church at Philippi isn't there now. It's, it's had its time. It's a world heritage site if you go there. But its book inspires us today. And the people that came out of that church inspired the beginning of what Christianity was to become. Paul's message has endured, but where does that leave us? What's the end here for us at Hutt City Baptist? I mean, Lower Hutt City Baptist Church has its own origin story. Some of you know that story, the people who planted this church. And we probably 
need to hear it from time to time because those people had a vision. Sometimes when I've been into Marae, what I'm amazed at, what I think is quite special is to see the people from the Marae, their pictures around the Marae, and you look at them and you're reminded of who the real people were that were there. And if I ask some of the older people here especially, there would be name after name after name that could be brought to the fore. People who served God well, who had a vision for what this church should become. Origin stories kind of keep going though. We've got a more recent kind of origin story if you want to have a more recent one. Some of you will remember that in this day, January 2009, we came to church, which was in Paruri Street. And what had happened? The steeple had been blasted by a huge voltage from the sky. Yeah? And it was on the night before the day that the church was going to vote for whether it moved out of Paruri Street into this new area. Now, that could be just a coincidence, and I'm happy to believe it could just be a coincidence. But it's an incredible one, isn't it, that we live through. And it's a great thing to anchor us to a point as a church where something changed, where the vision shifted a little bit to include different people, include a different part of town, and include a different future. And it hasn't been an easy vision. But goodness me, there's been some amazing things happen in this church. And some of you have been touched in amazing ways, and some of you are being touched in amazing ways, and some of you are doing amazing things because of the encouragement and the understanding you get of Jesus Christ in this church and with these people. And we have a purpose, and we've planted it right up in front of us. We're strong in faith, yeah? We're rich in love, and we're released in action. And every day, we might struggle with one of those things, but it's something to walk towards and to march into. And I'm so impressed when I see God working in so many people's lives to do these things, especially the middle one, rich in love, because I think so much comes out of people who love. Strong in faith, rich in love. We're a church with an origin story we're a church that's made up of individuals. We're marching together. We're journeying together. And we all individually have our own origin stories. We all started somewhere. Yeah? For some of you, it wasn't that far ago. For many of us, it's a, it's a little bit further in the past. But the fact that you entered this world and had a beginning that you are just impossible in terms of the odds of who you are. Some of you are studying genetics at the moment. The unbelievable odds that genes can combine to form you, they are in their trillions once you take into account that it took grandmas and granddads and ancestors to come together all the way to your parents, to you. But you come into this earth at your most vulnerable naked, with nothing. I often wonder why there isn't somebody from the government or from the city council in our hospitals welcoming people aboard as they come in. Probably highly inappropriate, but 
if you think about it, it's incredible. People out of eternity are appearing in our society, and that happened to you at one point. Yeah? The realization of impossible odds. And we're all travelers in time. Been watching a few stories about time travel recently, but we're travelers in time. We're navigating our way together through a stream of seconds, minutes, hours, and days. And as you get older, you realize they run out a little bit. So young people, take advantage. Take advantage of this life that God's given you. Old people, take advantage of every second to be strong in faith, rich in love, released in action. It's great to sort of go back to the words of Jesus. Um, In three of the Gospels, he tells this parable of the sower. Yeah? The sower goes out and he sows the seeds. But the seeds fall into all sorts of um, circumstances. And at some point in our lives, seeds have been planted. Yeah? It might have been a parent, it might have been a friend, it might have been a preacher, it might have been a book, it might have been a film, it might have been something on TV, it might have been a combination of all those things. But for many of us, that seed has taken root and it's growing and it continues to grow. Jesus warned that sometimes the seed falls on the path And the path represents those who hear that word but don't understand it and they allow the evil one to snatch it away. And some of that seed falls on rocks and the rocky ground symbolizes those who've received that word with joy, yeah? It was a great thing, you know? Sometimes I worry it's the kind of joy we might experience at a camp, yeah? But we fall away when troubles arise because that seed lacks deep roots. And some of, the, some of that seed fell among thorns. And the thorns refer to those who hear the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. I'm thinking now of all the times that my fear of not having money has stopped me from taking risks, yeah, for God. And then some falls in the good soil. And good soil signifies those who hear, who understand, and who retain the word, producing a fruitful yield. Jesus is emphasizing the importance of not just hearing that word of God, not just turning up, but understanding it, accepting it, and integrating it into our lives in a way that produces spiritual fruit. And I guess Paul, when he was writing to the Philippines, Philippines, he was, not the Philippines, the Philippians, he was doing the same, yeah? He's telling us that through Jesus, God brings purpose to lives. He wants our faith to flourish, our love to grow richer, our 
lives to be released in action because we understand, accept, and integrate the gospel of Jesus Christ into our lives. I went to a, um, to a funeral on Friday. So when I was writing the sermon, I wasn't thinking about what I might learn from a funeral. But you learn a lot from a funeral. It sounds a bit macabre, but sometimes I think we need to go to funerals to realize what life's about. Um, and the funeral was for the most amazing person. If I can have things said about me at my funeral, like were said about here, I'll be amazed. Um, I'd be very proud of myself, but that wasn't the point. The point was that she had loved the Lord, and her faith was what she was famous for. In fact, the minister got up and said this. She had a strong and intelligent faith. She loved the Lord her God with all her heart and all her strength and all her might, and she loved her neighbor as herself. What a wonderful way to talk about somebody's life, yeah? They loved their Savior with all their strength, with all their heart, with all their might, and they loved their neighbor as they loved themselves. We're living in a complex, difficult world, and we're all far from perfect. I certainly am. We still sin. We have addictions. We make mistakes. Sometimes we hurt the people we love. Sometimes they hurt us. And often we underestimate God in our lives. But through the gospel, God reaches down and he gives us purpose. He pulls us from the horrible pit, the miry clay, and he sets our feet upon a rock. And he makes our steps secure. The end of Philippians, the point of it was to encourage, to provide joy and hope to a fledgling community who had put their trust in this amazing God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a good time to think about the seed that was planted in us, in you. Is it growing in good soil? Is it producing fruit? I have the wonderful privilege of being able to be part of the music team. And it is a wonderful privilege. They're wonderful, wonderful people. But even more wonderful is being able to listen to people sing from the front when something has struck a chord through music with their minds and with their hearts and with their spirits. And last week, we sung a song called The Blessing. And at the end, I could hear a crescendo of voices that overtook the piano and overtook the guitars. And it was these lines, he is for you. 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 In the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, he is for you. He is for you. Amen. 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 What a wonderful God we have. And what a privilege 
to be on a journey through time knowing that God. And what an opportunity we have every day to turn our life into a life of worship. And we're going to do that together now. And I hope that in your hearts and with your voices, you can look up to the most amazing God who one day planted a seed in your life. And we can praise and worship him together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing.